a roundup of the main business news from China and elsewhere. This is Global Business. From CGTN headquarters here in Beijing, this is Global Business. I'm Sean Vandenberg. Coming up on the program. He visits Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi embarks on crucial U.S. visit for high-level discussions. Crucial summit, Chinese Premier Li Chang touches down in Bishkek for a pivotal Shanghai Cooperation Organization meeting. Big move, China greenlights massive 1 trillion yuan sovereign debt boost for urgent disaster relief and infrastructure construction. Chinese President Xi Jinping said healthier ties between China and the U.S. based on the principles of mutual respect, peaceful coexistence, and win-win cooperation are crucial for the world. He made the remarks in a letter to the annual gathering of the New York-based National Committee on United States-China Relations. The Chinese president also conveyed his appreciation for the committee's efforts to encourage bilateral cooperation. Xi Jinping called on all parties to play a constructive role in promoting better China-U.S. relations. High-level discussions between Beijing and Washington continue. Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi will travel to the U.S. this week for face-to-face meetings with high-level members of U.S. President Joe Biden's cabinet. CGTN's Sean Calebs has the latest from Washington. China and the United States continue to pursue a path that could lead to a thaw in relations between the two nations. Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi is coming to the U.S. capital city, and both countries have a series of high-level discussions planned. It is the latest prominent meeting between China and the United States. Now, during this meeting, China's longtime foreign minister is set to speak with the U.S. Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken, and Biden's National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan. There is no shortage of issues facing the two largest economies on Earth. It is expected the two will discuss the crisis in the Middle East as fighting between Israel and Hamas threatens to escalate. U.S. officials reportedly want China to, in Washington's words, be more constructive in the Middle East. The two sides are also expected to discuss tension within the South China Sea and the ongoing Russia-Ukraine conflict. China's foreign ministry spokesperson Mao Ning says Wang Yi plans to clarify its relationship with the United States and hopes for better ties in the future. We hope that the U.S. side will work with the Chinese side to put the important consensus of the two heads of state into practice, strengthen communication and dialogue, expand practical cooperation, properly manage differences, and jointly push China-U.S. relations back on track for healthy and stable development. The United States has called for guardrails to manage relations between Beijing and Washington. China is rejecting that idea, asking for a different kind of great power relationship and that the U.S. must respect China's core interest. Many observers are noting the timing of Wang's visit. It comes just three weeks before the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation, or APEC, meeting in San Francisco. China has not said whether President Xi Jinping will attend the meeting, but if he does, the stage is set for a possible side meeting between the two presidents as they strive to improve communication. Sean Caleb, CGTN in Washington. Senior Chinese diplomat Wang Yi has met with California Governor Gavin Newsom in Beijing. Newsom began a week-long trip to China on Monday. Our reporter Dong Xue has more. 
Senior Chinese diplomat Wang Yi said Newsom's visit will not only push the mutually beneficial cooperation between China and California to a new level, but play an important role in promoting bilateral relations between China and the United States. Wang Yi made the remarks while hosting Newsom in Beijing. Newsom, a Democrat, began his visit with a climate-themed discussion at the University of Hong Kong and will continue his trip to Shanghai and the provinces of Guangzhou. And Jiangsu. Wang Yi said Newsom's visit to China lays a solid foundation for future engagement as well. I believe your visit is in line with the hopes of Californian people, serves the best interests of American people, and is also in line with the expectations of the international community. Newsom, on the other hand, said he's hearing expectation as Wang suggests of turning the page and renewing friendship. I'm here again. Um, but I'm here after four plus years uh, where no governor has visited. And so I'm here um, in expectation, as you suggest, uh, of uh, turning the page, uh, of renewing our friendship, uh, reengaging on foundational and fundamental issues that will determine our collective fate and future. Newsom made it clear his trip this time has a focus on climate action while stressing the importance of a long-standing partnership that goes back decades. Governor Newsom's visit comes as China-U.S. relations witnessed a sharp deterioration in recent years due to trade disputes, Taiwan, and technological restrictions, among other contentious issues. His focus on climate action and partnership between the world's two biggest economies has a silver lining amid souring bilateral relations. China's Wang Yi once called climate change cooperation an oasis amid the desert of strained bilateral relations. But this oasis risked turning into a desert itself, he said. That is, unless Washington respects Beijing's red lines to prevent tensions from spiraling into conflict. Dong Xuan, CGTN, Beijing. Chinese Premier Li Qiang has arrived in Bishkek for a meeting of the heads of government of Shanghai Cooperation Organization member states. Li will also make an official visit to the Kyrgyz Republic until October 27th. In a brief meeting upon his arrival, the Premier told Kyrgyz Prime Minister Akel Bek Japarov that China is ready to implement the consensus reached by their leaders, deepen political and strategic mutual trust, and set new benchmarks for cooperation. Premier Li said China looks forward to working with other SCO members to inject new impetus into regional peace, stability, and development. The Shanghai Cooperation Organization has achieved remarkable progress since its establishment. According to a report from the General Administration of Customs, the total trade value among SCO member countries has surged nearly a hundredfold in just two decades. Furthermore, the share of this trade in global market has grown significantly, rising from 5.4% in 2001 to 17.5% in 2020. Simultaneously, trade-friendly policies are continuously benefiting SCO member nations. Notably, the trade value volume between the China SCO Local Economic and Trade Cooperation Demonstration Area and SCO countries has surged from 850 million yuan in 2019 to a substantial 8.2 billion yuan in 2022. 
This year, China and Kyrgyzstan elevated their bilateral relationship to a comprehensive strategic partnership. The two countries have been increasing cooperation in many areas, including transportation, as some Kyrgyz citizens are enjoying the benefits of riding eco-friendly Chinese buses in Bishkek. CGTN's Mikhail Bedevid reports. Following an agreement between China and Kyrgyzstan, Bishkek is set to benefit from the introduction of an extensive fleet of buses. These distinctive green and white buses have already commenced operations, enhancing transportation services within the capital city. At the initiative of our president, Sadir Jabirov, we signed an agreement in March of this year for the supply of 1,000 buses. To date, 300 buses have already been delivered. Next year, 500 buses will arrive. A segment of this bus shipment, totaling 128 buses, is part of a project supported by the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development, EBRD. Chinese-made buses from the Golden Dragon Company will also be supplied through the EBRD. 80 buses have arrived. And those 370 buses that I spoke about earlier were manufactured by Zhongtong. The process of their customers' clearance and registration is underway, and they will soon be operational. These natural gas buses offer environmental benefits with automatic transmission, 77 passenger capacity with seating for 29 individuals, and eight USB charging points. These buses are very convenient for us, for the Kyrgyz people, as they are clean, safe and wide. We can say that they are comfortable. It's very good that they brought it. The buses are very convenient. There's also space for strollers for the disabled. It's very comfortable and the capacity is very good. As China and Kyrgyzstan plan to boost cooperation in the upcoming year, especially within the scope of the Belt and Road Initiative, are expected to be implemented in different industries. Mikhail Bardavid, CGTN. Now for more insights on the Shanghai Cooperation Organization and the global economy, we're pleased to have Richard Yasinga, Chief Economist and Head of Research at ANZ, join us in the studio. Richard, great to have you in the studio. Thank you so much for joining us. So um, how do you think, um, you know, organization, uh, cooperation, regional cooperation like uh, the SCO, um, how promote global economic growth? Yeah, I think it's important that maybe to step back with a realistic lens. It, it's clear broad multilateralism has been more challenged. Globalisation has had a more difficult time the last 10 years, but we also know that trade between countries and when countries cooperate, actually both economies win. So in my sense, you know, in the economic space, anything that keeps the flame of trade um, multilateralism alive, even if it's within these more regional, smaller groupings, I think is a good thing, will take us forward. Hopefully it continues to distribute to the global economy. Yeah. And you're an expert on global economy. What's your pro- prospects for um, the global economic outlook? I think there's a lot to be optimistic about. People like to talk about the challenges all the time, and there are plenty of those. Interest rates mm-hmm. um, are one, but certainly if you think where we've come from in the last three and a half years, from a pandemic to quite a strong global recovery, um, the world's handled higher interest rates in relatively good shape. The climate transition is more readily accepted as something that we really need to world- work through. Um, global trade has has rebounded. Uh, here we are in Asia, and the regional economy has actually done well in that period and benefited from those stronger trade links. Challenges, yes, but I think um, the global economy is still doing quite well. I think you know there's lots of activity around. 
Yeah, and um, but I, I like your optimism. But what do you think are the main challenges uh, going forward? Let's say in the near future. Well, continuing to cope with high interest rates, mm -hmm. and you know, people use the recession word quite a lot. Certainly, I'm much less worried about a bad global recession um, in the next year or two. I think for most economies, balance sheets are quite strong. And the response for, from central banks has been quite measured and sensible. Um, the Fed, for instance, looks like it's finished tightening for now. Mm. Um, climate change clearly remains a huge issue. The world has nearly 200 economies. We need to come together around something which is, uh, you know, vexing, complicated, will take substantial resources. But also, actually, you know, here we are in China, which has a very strong position in a number of sectors related to the climate transition, um, solar panels, EVs processing of critical minerals. The world's going to need all of those, I think, if, we, if we're going to successfully deliver into this transition. Yeah, definitely. And speaking of China, what's your outlook for China's economy in the near future? Yeah, China's, I guess, running at a slightly different speed. Some of the challenges that some other economies confronted before the pandemic, maybe China's dealing with slower property markets, slower credit growth, um, different phasing. But I think we've seen these challenges before. China, though, you know, an $18 trillion economy, more than three times larger than the world's third largest economy, so still critically important. China took 53% uh, of all foreign direct investment into Asia in the last 20 years, and you're really seeing the benefit of that through, I think, exports and the development of some of the niche industries um, in China. So maybe a microcosm of the world here in China. Yeah, some challenges, mm -hmm. to be sure, and maybe growth's a bit slower. But um, the world's not going to achieve its objectives around growth or climate change without China being a strong contributor to that. What would you say would be China's main growth drivers going forward and, and also the main challenges? Well, I think we're in the midst of a, a shift from a 20-year period where exports were a really big driver of mm -hmm. China and you know, foreign investment really contributing to that to domestic demand now being more important growth driver. And that's not a transition that can happen overnight. And it's not a transition that can happen in all parts of the economy uh, wow. seamlessly, um, but certainly for China being such a large economy, and that's a big benefit for China, you can't continually grow uh, your economy on the back of exports. Domestic demand has to come through, and I think we're in the midst of that transition as we speak. Um, from your experience staying in China, do you think the spending power is still there? Uh, how is consumption looking? Oh, this, oh, look, I think the spending power is there. I, I think maybe th there's some efforts by policy to really kickstart that. And while you know, economists often focus on very simple measures of policy like interest rates or fiscal spending. You know, we count more than 200 individual policy measures this year designed to really um, get the economy moving across a whole range of um, across a whole range of sectors. So I think the economy will grow. I mean, we're nearly finished 2023. Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll see at least five percent this year. Um, and then next year, I think, will be a very solid outcome as well. Yeah. All right. Great. Thank you so much for your insights. Thank really, you. really great to have you on the show. Richard Yasinga, Chief Economist and Head of Research at ANZ for us. China says it will provide additional financial support for post-disaster reconstruction and step-up efforts to enhance disaster prevention capability, Sun Tianyuan reports. Chinese authorities announced an additional 1 trillion yuan of sovereign bond during the fourth quarter. The funds, about 137 billion U.S. dollars, will mostly be used for reconstruction in disaster-hit areas as well as for improving infrastructure and emergency response. Multiple regions including Beijing, Tianjin and Hebei, northeast China, Henan, have suffered from rainstorms and floods earlier this year. 
This review of the weakness in China's flood control and management, as well as disaster relief emergency response and related infrastructure projects. That's why we need to increase investment urgently. The move will increase China's budget deficit in 2023 to 4,880 billion yuan. That's about 3.8 percent in its GDP, an increase of 0.8 percentage points. China's finance ministry says the overall risk of the additional deficit is within control. Although there has been a slight increase in the deficit rate this year, it is still within a reasonable range. After being put into use, it is also conducive to driving domestic demand and further consolidating the economic recovery trend. Authorities say they will keep tracking the money and make sure it's used appropriately. That they will also continue to support local governments to enhance their disaster prevention and management and ensure a safer and more stable environment for the people. Sun Tianyuan, CGTN, Beijing. Data is often equated to the modern-day equivalent of a valuable resource, and China is strategically harnessing its extensive data reserves with the setting up of a national data bureau. The newly established bureau will play a pivotal role in coordinating the development and utilization of China's data resources, which accounted for over 10 percent of the world's total data production in 2022, as reported by the Cyberspace Administration of China. In the past year, China's data, data production surged by nearly 23 making it the world's second largest contributor. The main mission of the new bureau is to pave the way for a digital China. Now for more insights on the recent issuance of special treasury bonds and the new administration, we're joined by Liu Zhiqin, senior fellow at the Chongyang Institute for Financial Studies of Brimming University of China. Now, Professor Liu, in what ways do you believe that the one trillion yuan sector-specific bond issuance will contribute to the enhancement of China's economic landscape? I should say that this special bond assurance will really help this further development of the economy, especially to relieve the disaster and the catastrophe happened in China. As we know, earlier in this year, we had suffered heavy losses by heavy rain and flooding. So for rural areas in some special construction site, they have suffered a lot of uh, disaster and damages. So in order to restore all this uh, uh, production and uh, further development of this area, so the central government has issued already some uh, first aid financial support to the uh, areas that uh, suffered these uh, disasters. Now they have a new one trillion yuan new uh, bond to be issued that to support this uh, uh, problem. So this is a very important uh, signal that first uh, the central government has uh, full confidence that uh, to overcome all these problems and the challenges caused by the natural disaster. And uh, secondly, by the unified policy and the unified efforts, we can consolidate all these uh, efforts that the whole country to solve and to deal all these uncertainties and the challenges, especially caused by the natural condition, natural or climate changes. So in this way, that they will help to restore all this industrialization, and secondly, to restore all the infrastructure, and thirdly, to make the life and the production of the entities that are in order. So we can help these areas to restore and to rebuild the supply chain and the industrial chain so in order to boost our economy in a further step. 
And how is the bond allocation structured to mitigate the considerable debt challenges often linked to urban construction and also transportation projects? Actually, China is not under pressure for the debt problem because we have so-called deficit ceilings for this year. But at the moment, we can see this debt is under control and it's also very transparent. This is quite important. We see what could be happening, what will happen in the time to come. So we are preparing to solve all this debt pressure. But actually, for the re, uh, reconstruction and the rebuilding of the rural areas and the urban construction and the transportation, I think a lot of new uh, budget will be injected in the project, especially for water infrastructure, for instance, so to restore all this uh, reconstruction. So they need a lot of budget and loan from the government. But the national deficit is not a bigger challenge for us. We are still under expectation that we can have a soft debt ceiling for this year. Yeah, and we just heard about China establishing the National Data Administration. Um, what do you think are the primary purposes behind this? I think the main purpose has laid on two points. The first point, how to make a right utilization or implementation of the data. We know that data has a strong force. If we use it in the right way, it can be a booster. It can be a positive uh, driving force to our economy. And the second, we should know that how to protect this data. The data has a strong force. It can be negative. It can be positive. It depends on what way and how we can protect it, how to distribute this data. So at the moment, we are at a very high speed development in order to get a high quality development, especially for the high quality modernization. We need really a high quality data management and data control. So that's why we have a special organization, special department focusing only on how to use it, how to protect it. This is a very important and a precondition for all kinds of these jobs at the moment. So if we set up this office department to deal all these challenges and uncertainties, I think if our data is safe, I think we can be assured that our development and high quality development will be sealed, will safe and also in the right development direction. All right, thank you so much for your insights. Really appreciate your time. Liu Zhiqian, Senior Fellow of the Chongyang Institute for Financial Studies at Renmin University of China. Rental demand in Shanghai's business parks is seeing a gradual recovery. New parks have opened in town for tenants to move into. Chen Tong takes a closer look. Covering a total area of 130,000 square meters, this industrial park in Shanghai's Changning District opened this month. Half of the space has already been rented out. The macro environment this year is still challenging, but we are working with tenants to solve the problems in decorations and business development. We held a special event for biomedicine companies. Companies here were actively signing up to participate. The park is designed for life science companies. One of the new tenants that moved in this month produces food ingredients. The firm decided to move in because of the support offered by the district and the industrial park. It offers us favorable tax policies and supports us on talent hiring and the residence permits. The industrial park also helped us to build our lab here. 
的一些这个支持。The development of the industrial park has been a hot topic in Shanghai. Just this month, the city has made it clear that supporting the development of industrial parks means supporting the city's high-quality development. At the same time, investments are also coming to support the construction of the parks. A white paper released by real estate consultant JLL shows business parks for industries including integrated circuits, life sciences, artificial intelligence. New energy vehicles and gaming have seen the most obvious rental demand in the past two years, and the city's support for these industrial parks will help speed up the development of high-quality industries. Internal and external pressure has pushed our country to fund its own innovation path. Shanghai's construction of a science and innovation center is crucial for it to build itself into a world-class city. But our economic foundation is not relying on rapid growth of the traditional industry, but breakthroughs in high-tech areas. Economic uncertainties were indeed bringing challenges to the rental demand for business parks. But JAL's data show that net absorption in the city's business parks turned positive in the third quarter, meaning the city's high-quality development is back on track. Chen Tong, CGTN, Shanghai. Hong Kong Chief Executive John Lee delivered his second annual policy address since taking office on Wednesday. Lee expressed optimism about Hong Kong's economic growth in 2023 and mapped out his priorities for bolstering the property market and stabilizing the ailing economy. He said Hong Kong's economy would resume growth this year as inbound tourism and consumption improved and unemployment fell. Lee also noted that the external environment remains challenging for Hong Kong investment and asset markets, given interest rate hikes in some advanced economies. Now to some other global business headlines. Japan's government is contemplating an expenditure of around 33 billion dollars for providing financial support to low-income households and implementing income tax cuts. The measure is expected to alleviate the financial strain on households scraping with. Increasing living expenses. The Seventh Future Investment Initiative Forum commenced in Riyadh, the capital of Saudi Arabia, on Tuesday under the theme "The New Compass." This forum will explore the role of investment in addressing climate change, ensuring equitable access to technology benefits, and fair distribution of resources. Notably, 300 Chinese delegates are participating in this event. In Australia, inflation in the third quarter has taken an unexpected upward turn, driven by persistent cost pressures across various sectors. This poses a challenge for policymakers and significantly raises the chances of an interest rate hike as early as next month. And that will do it with this edition of Global Business here on CGTN. I'm Jia Vandenberg in Beijing. Thank you for watching. Bye for now.